0: Thank you so much for listening to the Jesus Family Podcast, where we want to help you follow Jesus and find family. We are in a teaching series called You Are What You Think, how the enemy attacks you, how to fight back, and how to know that you're winning. These episodes are recorded live every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Central on Facebook and YouTube. And then I will take that, edit it down, and release it the following Monday for the Jesus Family Podcast. So if you want to watch any of these episodes live, Please join me this Wednesday night at 8 p.m. on Facebook or YouTube. All right, hey, welcome everyone to another edition of Midweek, or if you're listening to this on the Jesus Family Podcast, another episode of what started as a series called You Are What You Think, and now I'm titling it uh, A First Century Guide to Defeating the Devil. How we're being attacked, how to fight back, and how to know that we're winning. So it has been really a couple of decades of, Uh, of me wanting to do a deep dive into the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. And I've done it several times. And each time I go into it, I feel like I I learn a little bit more. And so this has been a fascinating uh, topic for me. Hopefully it is for you. Um, I'm filming this right now. You know, the the Middle East is about to blow up. Uh, The Palestinians and and the Israelis are at each other's throats. There's always already been an attack by Hamas. Israel has not responded yet in full force, and there's a lot of fear about when they do, what that's going to do with other regional areas, uh, other regional powers. And I mean, could this escalate into a regional conflict? Could it escalate into something more? There's just, there's a lot going on. Um, And so rather than just looking at an end-time prophecy that may or may not, Apply. uh, I I just want to try to get a better view of how the devil's working um, and how we as a church, uh, and as a church, I mean, those who uh, follow Jesus together. We are a family of believers that follow Jesus together, whether we attend um, a program or not. If we're the church, then we've got a group of of believers that we're doing life with, that we are following Jesus alongside, uh, that we care about them, they care about us. And it's a family of Jesus followers, so a Jesus family. So uh this is it's very timely and I'm wanting to try to just get a better idea of how the first century believers in in Ephesus, how they fought back against uh, the devil. So the armor of God has been something that's um, it's been out there but it's been very it's very very misunderstood or just uh, just poorly understood and I'm, I'm just speaking for myself you know what does it mean to put on the shield of faith what does it mean to put on? the 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 shoes of readiness? Or is it the shoes of the gospel? Or is it the shoes of peace? And what does it mean to take up the, you know, the, the sword of the Spirit? And is that just a Bible? And that's why we call them Bible drills and draw swords and, you know, all that stuff. So anyways, here's what we're going to do in this episode. Specifically, uh, the first thing I want us to do is I want us to look at how to know what the helmet of salvation is. I'm going to try to give you my current understanding of a working definition of what the helmet of salvation is, because that's where we are in episode 12. Last week we looked at the shield of faith. This week we're looking at the helmet of salvation, Ephesians 6:17. It simply says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So we're going to look at the sword of the Spirit next week. This week we're looking at the helmet of salvation. That's the first goal. The second goal is I want to try to broaden your understanding of salvation. So I'm going to do a little bit of a deep dive. Hopefully you got your floaties because we're going to dive into the deep end of the pool. But it's fascinating, and I hope just to really just broaden that. What the goal says I want to try to broaden your understanding of salvation. So with that, let's uh, let's recap what the what we've gone through at this point very very quickly. Uh, we started by talking about that this world is really messed up. And that's because there's a person behind the problems. That's Satan. Satan attacks us primarily through lies and deceptions, but those are not his only attack methods because he doesn't fight fair. Um, Lies are deadly. uh, And the unholy trinity, Satan doesn't fight fair, is designed to overwhelm us. That is the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's what I'm calling the unholy trinity and they are going to pop up again um, in this episode. Number six. Christians are not immune from the deception of the devil. Uh, When we're talking about the deception of the devil, we can't just think about what's happening out there, even though there's a lot out there. We have to take an honest look and say, are we, as Christians, as families, as churches, have we fallen prey to that as well? Um, Number seven, don't focus on the armor. Focus on what's attached to the armor. So rather than talking about shields and helmets and breastplates, we're talking about faith and salvation and righteousness what that looks like so in episode eight i started giving you my working definitions of the pieces of the armor the belt of truth is putting jesus into your mind constantly episode nine the breastplate of righteousness is right living towards others and that's as i began to do deeper textual study i began to broaden my horizon from applying it to me to applying it to us so that's what we looked at episodes one through nine and in episode 10 we looked at the shoes of readiness. It's sharing the gospel of peace with those whom God has prepared for us. That comes from Ephesians 2. Remember, I based everything off of in Ephesians 6. When the Ephesians heard this, this wouldn't have been the first time they heard these concepts. They would have heard it before. And so where we see this word for readiness, it actually pops up in Ephesians chapter 2. So that's how I interpreted that, Ephesians um, or episode 11, the shield of faith. What we looked at last week was it's our belief in Jesus, but not just do you agree with Jesus, but it's belief evidenced by action. So it's one thing to say, I believe that a parachute works, and I I believe that a parachute would save me if I jump out of an airplane at 10,000 feet. It's another thing to actually jump out of an airplane at 10,000 feet and trust that the that the parachute that you've packed will deploy and safely you know, bring you to the ground. So that's what faith is. It's, it's belief in Jesus, evidenced by action. We talk about how we are pursuing unity, how we're loving others, and how we're trusting in God for salvation. And that's what we're going to get to tonight. So episode 12 is, What is the Helmet of Salvation? So this is one of those concepts that for me is... Honestly, it's been one of the most difficult or the more difficult because it's a word that we are so familiar with. And it's almost unfamiliar because we're so familiar with it. That's the word salvation. If you grew up like I grew up in evangelical circles, I grew up in a Southern Baptist tradition, a tradition I'm proud of and I'm thankful for um, salvation was all over the place. You know, we had altar calls at the end of the at the end of of the services. You know, and we wanted people to get saved, and I still do want people to get saved. And salvation was the most important thing, and we wanted people to, to you know, pray the sinner's prayer. So we talked. We used the word salvation a lot, um, and so that's it. Actually, made trying to interpret this a little difficult because salvation always seemed to be communicated to me as just a one deal. Hey. You know, for me is when I was five. I was a a very young young child. I made a decision to give my life to Jesus, to ask him into my heart. I prayed the sinner's prayer. I got baptized when I was seven. So I'm saved. So when Paul says, take the helmet of salvation, that seems like a a box to check. Okay, boom. I prayed the prayer. I walked down. I pray, you know, I shook the preacher's hand. Everyone came up to me after the service. I got dunked a little while later. I've taken the helmet of salvation. Is that what he's talking about? So there's a lot of different um, ideas and interpretations. And if you go down different uh, denominational threads and different you know theological threads, you can have different variations of what it means to be saved and what that actually means here and now and later and before and all that sort of stuff. So it's actually not quite as cut and dry as, you know, have you trusted Jesus with your life? Because... Paul, at the end of the day, we, we need to realize Paul is telling a whole bunch of Christians to take the helmet of salvation. So he can't be telling them to get saved because they're already saved. They're already Christians. He's already established that at the very beginning of the of the letter to, to the faithful in Christ Jesus, those who have believed in Jesus. So when he's telling them to take the helmet of salvation, he's not telling them to get saved because they're already saved. So what is Paul talking about. That's what we're going to discover in this episode, and I'm really, really, really excited to, uh, to to share that with you. And if you're listening on podcasts, I'd encourage you to try to find this episode on Facebook or YouTube because I'm going to be showing some stuff, some screenshots, uh, and I'm going to try to describe it verbally, but it'll be better if you can see it as well. So let's go in with what should we know? What should we know? Now, what I want to try and do is I want to give you a visual, just quick recap of, I keep going back to this website, but the thebible.org is a great free resource. Um, I took a couple years of Greek in seminary in college, and so I know my way around it. Even if you don't, if you can stumble your way through and click on different things and figure out where you are, it can be a very helpful resource because I want to show you a pattern. And the reason this pattern is important is because Paul's about to break it. And when he breaks the pattern, it's for a reason. Everything that Paul does is for a reason. His thoughts are incredibly structured. I mean, he's almost like a lawyer building a case step by step. So in today's world, if I want to highlight something, a piece of text, I can, you know, make the font bigger or I can make it bold or I can underline it or I can italicize it. There's a lot of different things I can do. Well, in the first century, they didn't have bold or italics or you know different font sizes. I mean, they didn't have the tricks of the trade. But Paul still could bring attention to certain things, and he's going to do it here. And you don't see it in the English, because in the English, it's a list of things. It's the belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, shoes of readiness, uh, shield of faith, helmet of salvation sword of the spirit six different pieces of armor in the greek there's a slight variation slight enough that it's worth talking about let me show you so i'm going to put up this first screenshot is a bunch of greek letters up at the top and then just underneath that line is how you pronounce it in english so you would say tain osphoon humane ain alethea okay so that is the loins you in truth Basically saying, gird your loins in truth, we translate that as the belt of truth. Here's what's important. The nouns are in blue. Okay, so uh, the nouns, loins, and then truth, noun. Okay, so loins or belt, truth, noun, noun. Okay, so let's go to the next one, breastplate of righteousness. Again, you see, tone, theraka, taste diakunes, diakusunes. That is, the breastplate of righteousness. Okay, so breastplate, noun. It's in blue. Righteousness, noun. It's in blue. So noun, 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 noun. Belt, truth, breastplate, righteousness. Noun, 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 noun. He continues this when he says, the shoes of readiness. That's why I make the argument that it's not the shoes of peace or the shoes of the gospel because how he constructs it in Greek is... Um, Sorry, my pronunciation is a little rusty. But it's the foot in readiness, or the feet of readiness, or the shoes of peace. All right, the shoes of readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. But it's foot in readiness. Noun, 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 noun. Everything's a noun. What about the shield of faith? We looked at that last week. Well, guess what? It continues. Tone Thoreon teis pasteos, the shield of faith. Noun, shield, faith, noun. Now, let's jump ahead. Let's look at what we're going to finish next week. And that is the sword of the spirit. Again, tein makeron tu pneumatos. That's the sword of spirit. Okay, so sword, noun, spirit, noun. So if you're watching this, everything has been, I'm going to show you just one more time because it's important. Blue and blue, that's noun and noun. Uh, Breastplate of righteousness, blue and blue, noun and noun. Uh, Feet of readiness, noun and noun. Okay, shield of faith, noun and noun. Shield of faith and sword of the spirit, noun and noun. So helmet of salvation is not a noun and a noun. It's the helmet of the bringing salvation or receiving salvation. He uses a combination of a helmet, which is a noun, but instead of salvation being a noun, he uses an adjective and a verb. He breaks the pattern. Now, you might say, well, that's because there's not a noun form of salvation. Oh, no, no. There is a noun form of the word salvation, and we actually see it. He actually uses it earlier in, Ephesians, when he says ever, um, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, back in chapter one. So, tyrion, It's a noun form. So here he uses a close word so, as tiriu. It's an adjective, but he then he sticks it with a verb, receiving salvation. He uses this. Paul uses this over in Titus when he says the gospel that brings salvation to all people has been been made known to everyone. I think that's in Titus chapter one. So anyways, that's more Greek than you wanted, probably wanted to know. But here's what's important. Paul very much could have used a noun here for the helmet of salvation, but he didn't. He used an adjective-verb combination, which means... When Paul was talking about the helmet of salvation he, salvation, he was not talking about that decision to follow Jesus when you were a kid or when you were at revival. It's not a box to check. So we need to do a little more of a deep dive into what does it mean to take on the helmet of receiving salvation or the helmet that is bringing salvation to you. It's, it's a It's an adjective and a verb together. So I do know some Greek. I would not consider myself a Greek scholar. There are definitely some folks who have probably written hundreds of pages on this particular um, you know, verb and adjective combination of what he's talking about. But let me see if I could just try to put it in 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 layman's terms. Okay. So first I just wanted to try to drill down with this idea that Paul's talking about something different here. He's breaking his pattern. And when he's breaking his pattern, he's trying to bring emphasis to something to say, hey, this is something a little bit different. And what I think, and this is not just you know me reading someone else, but this is part of what I've learned, what I've been taught, and what I think Paul is referring to, not just here, but all throughout the book of Ephesians. I mean, this is this is my theory, but I think it's a well-informed, well-thought-out theory, is that Paul is referring to a, a much broader View and understanding of salvation that many of us are familiar with. Okay, so what I what I mean by that is there are three generalized aspects of salvation. Okay, and what I mean by that is, and I first learned this. I don't know if it was in college or in seminary, but it was one of my theology professors, and it always stuck with me. And it was, and I think it's very, very helpful because the Bible talks about it. When he talks when the Bible talks about being saved, they the Bible talks about it and the biblical authors talk about it in really three different tenses. They talk about it in the past, present, and future. And it's all part of being saved. So the first part is that you have been saved. You've been saved in the past. That you know, when you made a decision, you can look at it in two different ways. When I made a decision when I was five to To trust jesus with my life and i didn't know everything back then but it was a childlike faith and the bible new testament says that that's enough when i trusted in jesus with my childlike faith i was saved i can even go further into the past and say not only did i choose to follow jesus but jesus chose me and we see this in ephesians chapter one for god chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one that he loves. Now, when you talk about salvation in the past tense, we always think about the decision that we made. But the Bible does talk about the decision that God made before the creation of the world and that gets into predestination which gets some people really really excited and it freaks some people out and it probably confuses the rest. But I just at the we're going to circle back to this, but I just want to say that there is a past aspect that you have been saved. There's also a present aspect of salvation that you are being saved. Okay? It's the present tense. You are we're in the process of um in the process of being saved. So If you wanted to talk about the big churchy word for that you have been saved, I would use the word justification. We've been justified. It's something that's happened in the past because of what Jesus did on the cross and even before that, before the creation of the world. If we're talking about the present tense, I would use the big churchy word. I would use sanctified or sanctification. We are being saved. Paul talked about this as well in the book of ephesians in ephesians chapter 4 it says you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the in the attitude of your minds and to be and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness and paul talks a lot about this in ephesians that hey as we follow jesus we are supposed to be transformed into his likeness It is a process. It is not something that happens instantaneously, even though most of us would wish that, but we are being sanctified. We're being made holy and hopefully every day with Jesus makes us look a little more like him than the day before. So that is the process of Jesus saving us, of sanctifying us. That's a present tense. And there's also this sense of that we will be saved. The future tense. Here's what happens at the end. Paul also talks about this, especially like in Romans 8, but even here in Ephesians chapter 2. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages, when we all get to heaven, He might show us the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So it's the idea of glorification. So we have been saved justification. We are being saved. Sanctification. We will be saved. Glorification. That there's an aspect of salvation that we're getting a, um, a deposit. The Holy Spirit. Paul talks about that in Ephesians 1. He's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who believe. So the redemption of those who believe, when Jesus comes back, when we all go to heaven, Who those of us who believe, that's glorification. That's when our salvation will be finalized. So there is this multifaceted, three-dimensional view of salvation that the New Testament talks about. That we have been saved, we will be saved, and we are being saved. Past, present, and future. So, when Paul talks about the helmet of salvation, I think this is what he's referring to. He's just calling back to all these different aspects of salvation that he has already referenced, not just in his other letters, but in the book of Ephesians, earlier in those chapters as well. And so he's saying that, that salvation, that holistic view of salvation, that is a helmet that you can wear to defeat the devil. So here's my working definition of the helmet of salvation, that it is putting the full weight of our trust into God's salvation through Jesus. So putting the full weight of our trust into God's full salvation, past, present, and future through Jesus. So, I mean, salvation is what we typically think of is have you trusted Jesus with your life? Is He your Lord? Is He your Savior? But I want to try to just broaden that to think of a past, present, and future aspect of that. Okay, so probably the best single illustration i can use is being born okay jesus would use this himself in john chapter three that uh, salvation is like being born again and even a religious scholar like nicodemus couldn't fully understand it how can you enter a mother's womb a second time to be born again but jesus used this idea of being born uh, like being salvation and there there are some aspects of of being born that born is a past present and future if you're right in the middle of of the womb like you know life begins at conception but you're not born at conception you are in the womb for nine months and in that womb you are being you're you're growing you're developing you're becoming you know able to sustain life outside the womb and so this is it's this idea of sanctification that you're growing as as a tiny human and then the glorification the the end result is actually the beginning you know when it would be crazy to think when you're in the womb that, hey, this is all that this, this is all that there is, this is all the world that there is. No, no, no. Life begins at conception, but also life begins at birth. It's a both and it's not an either-or. So salvation for us begins when God chose us. It begins, it begins when we trusted in Jesus through faith. But it also begins in heaven. That, you know. It's it's like when uh, when we trusted in Jesus it's like life beginning at conception, and then from that moment until the day that we die, we're being you know uh, grown and developed in the womb of our salvation, and that when we die, it's not the end; it's actually a new beginning. It's actually like we're being birthed into real life, and that's why Christians can have a hope for death that death is not the end it's just the beginning so there is a multifaceted i uh aspect of being born which is why i think jesus latched onto that and used that as a way to try to describe what it means to be born again to be born of the spirit so i don't know about you but that actually helps me get a little bit more of a handle on what salvation is why should we care about this well Honestly, it's because the devil puts his whole weight, his whole energy into stopping this. I mean, salvation is the one thing that the devil wants to stop, but it's not just he wants to keep you from becoming a Christian. If he can't stop you from becoming a Christian, which is obviously priority number one, then he can stop you from growing as a Christian and he could try to steal your perspective and so that you have no Um, hope of of heaven and that you're so caught up in this world that you have no heaven-mindedness about you. And it actually reminds me of the parable of the sower, which I've shared before in an earlier episode, I think is also about the world, the flesh, and the devil, the unholy trinity. Like, I'm telling you, I'm I'm seeing this everywhere. It's why I did a series on the world, the flesh, and the devil before I did this one on spiritual warfare. So, this is what uh, Paul what Jesus said in Luke chapter 8. He said, this is the meaning of the parable. It's the farmer went out and sowed a seed, and one fell along the path, one fell along the rocky soil, one fell among the thorns, and one was good. He said, this is, what the meaning of the, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So, salvation. We're talking about salvation here. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. And I've made the argument that I think this is the flesh. And then, the seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's, the world's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. We want to be the seed on good soil. and stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop." So I think this these three things have so many different meanings. It's not just three different types of bad soil and we want to be the good one. It also refers to the world, the flesh, and the devil. And I think it also applies to this idea of salvation, the past, present, and the future. Here's what I mean by that. The first soil or is the hard path, and that's the devil. He tries to deceive us so that we cannot be saved. That's, he's trying to take away, take away or keep us from ever being deceived, keep us from ever being saved through deception. If that doesn't work, option two or option B, plan B, is to absolutely destroy our witness, our sanctification. And that's through the flesh. That's those on rocky ground. And if he can't get us through that, at the same time or in place of the flesh, he'll go with the world. That, okay, then maybe we're living a good life, we're a good moral person, but we are so wrapped up in this world, and life's worries, riches, and pleasures, that we have no view of, no appreciation of, no anticipation of the life to come. And so we have lost our effectiveness in this world because we're actually caught up with this world and not focused on the world to come. That our priorities line up with the world rather than heaven. And, And it makes no sense, I mean, it'd be... It'd be absolutely crazy for a a baby in a mother's womb to say, you know what? Hey, I'm just going to make these nine months count. I'm going to stretch out the womb. I'm going to see if I can get a couple of futons in here. Maybe not a full sofa, but maybe a futon, maybe a little mini fridge. See if we can get some Wi-Fi in here. I'm going to make this womb as comfortable as possible. Like trick out the womb. Like, no, that doesn't make any sense. You're only going to be there for nine months. In the same way, it doesn't make sense for us to say, hey, I'm just going to spend all my time focusing on life's worries, riches, and pleasures because eternity is a lot longer than 50, 60, 70, 80, or 90 years of the blink of an eye that will be here. So, I think we should care about salvation because Satan is trying to attack not just, you know, are you saved, past tense, but are you being saved, present tense, and are you focusing on the the salvation that will come when you go to heaven? He's trying to attack the past, the present, and the future of salvation through the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it, in my mind, it, this is like one of those conspiracy theory charts where all the yarn like just sticks together. Like it just, it, at least to me, it all makes sense. The devil puts all of his resources, his, the flesh's, the the world into trying to destroy, deceive, keep from, or erode, or corrupt the effectiveness of your salvation. And that is why Paul describes it as the helmet. I mean, there's a lot of pieces you can go without. You don't want to leave your head unprotected. Salvation. It's right there. So we should care about this. Now, honestly, I, my focus this past week is just trying to dig down deep and understand the the different aspects of salvation in a way that I could teach it. I'm still on the front end of applying it, but let me just leave you with a couple of questions that I'm asking myself. You know, because putting on the helmet of salvation salvation can't just be did I make a decision when I was 9 or when I was 20 or whatever? How am I as a Christian continually putting on The helmet of salvation. So here's a couple ways, three ways, and I'm going to think about it with the past, present, and the future. The first is, do we have full assurance that God has saved us? That's the past. That's the past aspect of salvation. I mean, I remember as a kid, you know, praying the sinner's prayer a bunch of times because, you know, I've said, hey, if you pray the prayer and you really mean it, then God's going to save you. But that's a really, really tough just standard, because did you really mean it? You could you could cast doubt on that, you know? Did I really mean it last time? Well, no, I sinned afterwards. So I must not have really meant it, so I'm going to pray the prayer again, you know? And I've heard stories of people praying the sinner's prayer every night for a decade because they didn't want to go to hell and they just wanted to be safe. And, you know, a lot of these evangelistic crusades over the last couple of decades were just, hey, if you want to come down to the front and just make sure one more time. So this is something that Christians struggle with. Do we have full assurance that God has saved us? And with that, this gets into the whole aspect of predestination that Paul talks about in Ephesians 1. And that's another conversation for another time, but I think we've actually completely missed the point. There's a lot of theologians, a lot of Calvinists love to jump in on the... You know, God chose who's going to heaven and who's going to hell, and and God's sovereign, and He's got all the choice, and we don't have any choice. And I and I've 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 got a way that I that I've described another conversation from another time that I think that's a false dichotomy that we're we're trying to solve something that wasn't meant to be solved. There's a mystery in salvation; it could be 100% God's choice and 100% our choice. But even if we can reconcile that, I don't think that's the point. The point of Ephesians one was not, hey, let me give some fodder to some armchair theologians so they can argue about it, you know, a couple thousand years from now. Remember, Paul, the occasion for this letter, he was writing to a group of Christians in Ephesus that he knew that he had discipled. There was already a ton of spiritual activity there. They had already poked the bear, and they were receiving uh, incredible pushback. And so, you know, Paul talks about the work of the devil all throughout the uh, the book of ephesians that's why i believe that ephesians is a handbook a first century handbook on how to defeat the devil so when paul's talking about predestination i don't think he's just saying hey here's a little you know conversation starter your next seminary class I think he was directly going against one of the primary things that the devil does. He tries to accuse us. He tries to cast doubt and create doubt within us that God can't love you enough to save you, that God can't choose you, that he didn't choose you, that you didn't mean enough, or you're probably not elect. And I think that the whole point of Ephesians 1 and predestination is what Paul says. It's in love. He's saying, guys, don't worry or don't allow yourself to worry or be doubtful about your salvation. God has already chosen you. And, you know, I've, um, that's something that that I live with because, you know, my wife and I've got four kids, two are biological, two are adopted, and that's something that that they've never had to, you know, wrestle with, you know, am, am I loved, am I chosen? Like, no, 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 like before before they could do anything to, to earn that love, we chose them, And it's not, and all I want them to do is, I don't want them to worry about it. I don't want them to think about it. I want it to be a complete non issue because I love them and I want them to rest secure that they are my children. In the same way, the whole point of election, whole point of predestination is that God has chosen us, that He loves us. And so I think we can wear the helmet of salvation by just resting in that assurance of our salvation and not continually questioning it you know if if any of my kids came up and said hey dad do you love me today do you love me today do you love me today did you do you choose to be my dad today you know that would that would defeat the whole point like no 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 i've chosen and i'm not going to change my mind in the same way our loving heavenly father has chosen us to be his children and he did it out of love so that we never have to worry about his love for us and he demonstrated it once and for all through jesus on the cross so are we resting in that full assurance that God has saved us? That is a practical way that we can wear the helmet of salvation. So quit worrying about it. Quit questioning God. Just put the full weight of your trust into the assurance that God has saved you. And that is the helmet of salvation. And that directly defeats the work that the devil is trying to do to stir up you know, uh, doubts, and fear in your life so that's a practical way here's another way are we experiencing the transformation of god saving us and again my individualistic mindset i always think of you know are you being more holy are you sinning less are you thinking about god more but again those are very that's you focused you focused you focused when Paul talks about uh, righteousness, he talks about in, uh, in relationship, our relationship with others. So it's not just you focused, it's us focused. So are we experiencing the transformation of God saving us towards others? How are we treating others? Are we treating others with more righteousness? Are we treating others with more holiness? Are we treating others in humbleness? Are we treating others with respect, with love, with submission? You know, are we treating others? In a way that Jesus would treat others. That's that's a real solid way that we can say, Hey, are we being are we being saved? Are we leaning into that transformative process? And then the third way is: Has the hope of our ultimate salvation, our future salvation, has that loosened the grip of this present world that it has on us? Meaning, how much do we anticipate heaven? Because the more we anticipate heaven. You know, I heard this this phrase, you can be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. I think it's a, the misnomer. If you're truly heavenly minded, not you know just what I want heaven to be, but what heaven truly is, I think it's actually going to make us a much stronger force for good on this earth because we'll be willing to endure more. We'll be willing to sacrifice more. We'll be living uh, willing to give more because we're trying to store up treasures in heaven, not treasures on earth. And so how caught up with you are are you with the things of this world? Well, if you really find yourself just, just, you know, captivated by the things of the world, that might be a sign that that future aspect of salvation still needs to sink some roots into you. So there are some practical ways that we can put on the helmet of salvation, and when we do that, we are directly defeating the work of the devil because he is trying to come at our salvation in every way possible. In the past, the present, and the future. So, that's the Helmet of Salvation. I hope you enjoyed it. Next week, we're going to talk about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, with everything else, when Paul talks about this in Ephesians 6, he's already mentioned it once before. And he mentions the Spirit several times. He also mentions the word Word, which is the Word of God. Earlier in the book of Ephesians, but it's not in the place that you might expect. So it's going to be a fascinating conversation. That's going to be next week. Thank you so much for joining, for watching, or listening, and we'll see you again real soon.